correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. radiocom Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPG, the podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. Welcome back to Me and Steve Talk RPGs. Today we have another very special guest, but before that, let's talk about the Shared Sagas podcast, Steve. Ah, yes. Shared Sagas is an Australian actual play podcast. They publish episodes weekly of both one-shot and ongoing campaigns of assorted tabletop RPGs. And they're just a bunch of assorted gamer geek friends having fun. And I believe that the saga they're currently posting stuff about is Star Wars, like Beyond the Rim or something. And it's they're up into like session eight, I think. So I think it's actually a fairly long campaign. Nice. I have been really digging some shared sagas. I've been listening to their stuff and it's pretty good. But so we do have a guest on today. Why don't you go ahead and intro our guest for us and we'll get started with this pretty awesome interview. Yeah, yeah. So obviously you all know last week we talked with Shane Stacks and did a bunch of stuff about the history of superhero RPGs, actually. And he mentioned that probably the, the biggest title in super gaming right now is Mutants and Masterminds. And through various channels, I actually came across Alexander Thomas, who is a reoccurring freelancer for Mutants and Masterminds. And he also does a really neat, primarily a streaming project that's, that's very close to what we do here on Me and Steve called the Untold Stories Project. And so we're going to talk with Alex about supers gaming, mutants and masterminds and some untold stories today. So hello, Alex. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm really excited to just be chatting superheroes and and USP. I really like talking about USP, too. Well, we're glad to have you. Glad you could take the time to join us. And, you know, I guess maybe the place to start a little bit is with supers games and Shane brought this up and it's a, it's a unique challenge in a lot of ways to supers universes is that you have such disparate power levels between comic book superheroes all the way from you know say a, a Frank Castle, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage up to Superman and 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 so on and and how do you create a game world and game mechanics where these things can exist but still be fun for everyone at the table yeah, and that is one of the big that's one of the big draws for superheroes is superheroes mean different things to literally everybody. I mean everybody has their favorite genre, everybody has their favorite creators, their favorite characters. And that's one of the big challenges tackling the superhero genre. But I think Eminem does a great job because it focuses on what can the character do and gives the GM a lot of flexibility to bring any kind of story to life. So the character creation is endlessly customizable. You can create any character that you can imagine. And they scale things based on a power level cap. So you know roughly what a power level 8 character is capable of in terms of rolling, but not necessarily in terms of power, uh, breadth of power. So, you know, even if you're power level 8, you still have access to all of the power. So you can build your character however you want to. So it's like a defender situation. You can have somebody with invulnerable skin. You can have Jessica Jones, who's a great investigator with super strength. And you can have Daredevil with all of his echolocation and all that good stuff mixed in. So now, does it work like where certain certain levels of power contribute like like you at character creation do you say we're going to play a power level six campaign and so you pick powers until you get to power level six or is it am i 
I mean, I don't, I don't know the game system at all. So, no worries. So it's a point buy system. So uh, if you're a power level eight character, you have uh, whatever fifteen times eight is, one hundred and twenty points to build your character with, and everything has a set amount of point cost. So you can, you, you have access to all the tools that even po- higher power level characters have, but you have less points to work with, and your power level cap is different. So the way the power level cap works is. Your power level cap is your power level times two, basically. And that's balanced in a number of different ways. So, like, your hit bonus and your damage bonus can't be equal to more than twice your power level. So if you're power level eight, you can have a plus eight to hit and do eight damage. Or ten and six. Or, you know, it balances that way. Make sure that your character's still, in the terms of, compared to higher power level characters, that's how they sort of determine who can do what and setting those concrete numbers for people. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah, point by system, I suppose, would would work to balance things out. So it, it's a situation where I, I'm just guessing that, like, say you want to have super strength and, and crazy flight like, like Superman, that costs you a lot of points. So you might have those powers, but you don't have a lot of much of anything else, say. Yeah, yep. And that's sort of, um, that's one of the, for some people, just creating characters in the system is a draw for them. They just like to sit there and see how they build iconic characters within the system. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually have 150 or so DC conversions that I made power level 10, 150 power points, just so I've got PCs for my convention games. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I did look a little bit on drive through you know, via searching your name, and it looks like primarily what you've done is is character and adventure stuff? Yeah, that's a lot of what I've done. Um, the main projects I've worked on for Green Ronin are um, Rogue's Gallery, which was a book of supervillains. Um, so I created a whole bunch of supervillains for that project. And I do I do have an adventure out that's sort of like a basic welcome to the system adventure. And then Danger Zones that's coming out. I have a few. I, do, I worked on a couple of those Danger Zones that are coming out. And uh, I did some work in the Vigilantes Handbook. And then the other work I've done is uh, proofreading and editing work through a couple of different products. Okay. So I guess one of the things I'm always curious about with a new game, and, and I think it's not uncommon for, for most people, is what is the system? And I do know enough to know that Mutants and Masterminds is a D20-based game, but I'm guessing it's not a Dungeons & Dragons variant. It's probably a bit different. Is that correct? Well, the fun thing is the second edition was pretty much a, was a version of like third edition D&D that was turned into a superhero system. But the third edition has moved away from that. Um, it's still a D20 system. It does, you know, it is based on a lot of opposed checks and resistance checks and degrees of success and failure. So when something affects a character, they roll a D20 plus their modifier. And then every five points they get above their target is a degree of success. And every five points they get below their te- target is a degree of failure. And it's that back and forth that sort of determines how the game's played. Uh, okay. So it's still uh, primarily a D20 rollover system in base-based terms? Yeah, in base-based terms. So it's D20 plus modifier versus target number is the basic uh, basic mechanic of the game. Uh-huh. So, I mean, it, it sounds like, you've well, in, in being in third edition, I'm sure it's it's gone through a number of revisions to to make it do what you want it to do. And, and from what you're saying you've done, it, it seems to handle, I'm guessing it models, even though you're not licensed for any of the active universes, that it handles emulating those characters well. Oh, yeah. And uh, third edition M&M actually started as DC Adventures. That was a licensed books for DC that uh, Green Ronin put out, and then they put out the third edition Mutants and Mastermind stuff in their own universe. Ah, okay. 
So I guess, let me ask you, considering I'm, I'm guessing that, that supers gaming is really kind of your thing. Uh, what is it that draws you to supers gaming? Cause for me and, and also for Steve, it's one of those things that, you know, it's there and it's kind of interesting, but I've just, I, I've never gotten to play it. I almost played a heroes unlimited game once, but I never got there. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, so yeah, superheroes, I don't know. It's, that's always been one of my absolute favorite genres of story just to be involved in. Really like that I'm, I get to live in the cultural zeitgeist where all the movies are superhero movies. And it's just, you know, I write superhero novels. All of my published work is in superheroes. There's just something about the larger-than-life nature, the astonishing powers, and the moral goodness of the characters that appeals to me. Mm-hmm. And game mastering in this universe, this kind of setting, it presents a lot of challenges, and it's very engaging mind-wise for me. Just because there's so many things your characters can do. I mean, there aren't a lot of games that allow you to leap tall buildings <laughs> single bound or get nuked or change matter on a subatomic level from the beginning of the game. Like superhero characters start off awesome and they get better instead of growing to that point, which can be a draw for stuff like D&D or other games like that. But I like I like having a cool character and being able to run with it from the beginning of the system. Okay. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, like you're saying, now that that is a question though, given that that supers do tend to start out with with lots of goodies, how does it handle advancement? Um, so it's still a point by system. So at the end of every adventure or so, if the game master feels like it, they can give away a couple of PowerPoints to increase the depth of the character. Um, and then increasing power level increases your power level cap. So you can become more effective with the stuff you, you're already doing. It's not as focused on advancement as other systems are because your character does start off you know, as a superhero. You know, being able to deepen your character's experience with PowerPoints is really cool because a character who's power level 10 with like 180 PowerPoints, so 30 more PowerPoints than they started with, is much more diverse and interesting than when they first started. So they have the ability to dump stuff into their skills. They can modify their powers to make their powers usable in different ways. Um, Yeah, there's just a lot of cool stuff that you can do to make the character more interesting as you're growing. Let me ask this. Say a character wanted, say someone wanted to, I don't know how to put this, maybe sink points into other abilities. Is that possible? Like to essentially multi-class in a, in a classless system. Is that possible in, in this game system? Or is that sort of frowned upon, not really possible? Um, It is. I mean, it is definitely possible as a player. If you're, you know, as long as you can make it make sense with the way your powers work. Right. Okay. It's very character concept-based rather than character class-based. And there's a lot of flexibility between GMs and players to sort of modify things. You know, if you want to say, you know, it's a little harder for somebody like Green Lantern to just start throwing fireballs. But you can come up with a you can come up with a ranged blast power based on the Green Lantern ring that has the same effect. Uh, and you can right, right. throwing a big Green Lantern fireball. Okay. But, or if you're Iron Man or somebody like a tech guy, you can be like, hey, I just worked on this new suit. I want to unveil my new suit. And that lets you that would let you customize to a different suite of powers. So if you're looking at like, I have my aquatic suit now and my burrowing suit and my deep space suit sort of deal. Okay. So does it, it, it sounds like a little bit, and then we talked about this just a little bit, you and I, before we started recording, there's a, a game out there called Mutant City Blues that has this, they call it, I think the in-game term for it is the Quaid diagram, which equates certain powers with, or not equates, but but groups certain powers together. And that to have this power, you have to have this power, or you can only have this power if you have these other powers. 
are there kind of branching trees or something that do similar things in, in M&M or is it a little more a la carte? Yeah, so there's nothing baked into the system that does that, but you do have the flexibility to implement something like that as a game master if you want to. It is very, um, so the way you design your powers isn't so much like, this is my time manipulation power. You build it based on the effect that you're trying to accomplish. So all of the powers are basically, I think it's like 30 or 40 effects. So like damage, speed, light, movement power, teleport, stuff like that. And then you can flavor those powers however you want. It's not necessarily, you know, buying buying a fireball spell or leveling up into that. It's, I have a burst area damage. How do I want to describe that? And that could be a fireball or it could be, I'm the flash and I punch everybody in a 30 foot radius. Okay. So it sounds a little bit, I don't know if you're familiar with um, the FFG edge Genesis system at all, but it sounds a bit like the way they work their, their magic system where it's all keyed off of what do you want to do and you work it backwards as opposed to I have fireball. What does fireball do? It's very much like that. It's very, you describe the effect you're trying to accomplish and then you build the power based on that. And the more complicated a power is, the more power points it costs per rank to level up or to, you know, get to a certain level. So damage starts off at one, one point per rank. And that's close damage. Uh, if you want to make it ranged, you add one rank, you will add one point per rank. If you want to make it a burst area, it's one point per rank. And it's very, there's a lot of math involved in that, which can be a little daunting for new players. But the new Basic Heroes Handbook um, that just came out uh, last year does a great job of making it very a la carte, where you sit down for character creation and there's like 10 archetypes in the book. And you go through, you pick your archetype, and then you sort of do like a Mad Lib situation where the GM asks you, is your character brooding or is your character inspiring? And that changes the abilities that you're getting at character creation. Just to get the math out of the way for new players to start learning how the system works and getting a feel for it before they want to devote the time to learning all the PowerPoint stuff. Okay. I do like that. I I like uh, getting the DM involved in character creation because that's one of the things that I think a a lot of systems really make daunting is... Getting characters created by yourself can be really daunting at times. And having the ability to have your DM sit down and go, okay, well, let's ask these questions and get this character made is actually really nice. Yeah, I really like the Basic Heroes Handbook. For anybody who's just starting Eminem, I always recommend that for them. And at my convention games, I bring I only bring the Basic Heroes Handbook to have at the table for the players to look at. All right. Yeah. Now, you're saying that it's a little bit of a mathy system. Is it? Primarily, though, a front-loaded math where your all your or most of your math is at at creation, or or does it get a little bit? I don't want to say involved at the table, or or once you have things created, is it pretty straightforward to play? So yeah, most of the math issues are at the beginning uh, for character creation, and then it doesn't really show itself very often during gameplay, especially if you have a GM who's willing to sort of like know the math and take it on themselves because the most complicated stuff that you'll do during a gameplay session is have to look at the target number they were trying to get and then add or subtract and turn that into multiples of five so like okay i needed a 25 i got a 19 that means i failed by six i take two degrees of failure for that basically okay there is there is the potential for some some more complicated character math at the table if the characters are doing something called a power stunt which is and a hero point, and you can use your powers in a way that isn't listed on your sheet to the point total that your most expensive power costs. Okay. 
some GMs are very hand wavy with that, which I can definitely appreciate. I've been hand wavy with it before because I'm more interested in having a narrative and a cinematic experience at the table. Mm-hmm. But if you're an experienced player or an experienced GM, you can say, okay, I bought these four powers, but I know I have in my back pocket that I could spend a hero point and I can do I can do X, Y, Z on top of that without having to pay at character creation for those abilities. Okay. Yeah, for instance, um, say you're Batman and you're dangling from a helicopter and a shark is attacking Robin. You could be like, okay, here's a hero point. I actually have my bat shark repellent up in the helicopter. I'm going to spray the shark with that. Okay, so it also has kind of a, a meta currency to allow you to just sort of say things are a certain way because kind of like the uh, the story point, destiny point in Genesis or FFG Star Wars then. Yeah, the uh, so hero points are awesome. It's one of my favorite meta currencies in gaming because you can use them for more than just a reroll. You can use them to reroll if you miss. Um, and in a reroll, if you roll one through 10, spending a hero point, you get to add 10 to it. So you're almost guaranteed to do better with a hero point. Ah, okay. But you can also use them to do the power stunts. You can use them to edit the scene for small things that your GM is willing to let you get away with. So like I'm fighting poison Ivy in a greenhouse. Look, here's a hero point. The gardener left some herbicide behind. When he <laughs> left thing. Little things like that. Or you can use them to um, attempt an instant counter. There's a lot of different things that you can do with hero points that are awesome. Yeah. I really like those, those kind of meta currency mechanics. They, they really add a lot of kind of flavor and, and cinematic flair to the game. Yeah. And I, I think they also encourage good role-playing as well. I think a lot of players, knowing that if they lean into the genre tropes, they can earn hero points. It makes the story feel more like a superhero story or whatever kind of story you're trying to tell. Like when I run Suicide Squad games, I call them parole points. So. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that, well, like you said, it encourages role-play. And I think the other thing is it discourages that nitpicking, pre-planning stuff that, that just drags a lot of games down. You know, you don't have that that two hour shopping montage because, well, we need to make sure we have rope and we have enough rations and we have enough, you know, health potions or or whatever the, you know, the kind of little bookkeeping consumable things that you really should keep track of, but no one really wants to be bothered with. Yeah. I mean, there's an audience for that kind of thing, but I am not part of that audience. It, likewise. Likewise. Um, I mean, I like I like when I'm playing a rogue in D&D and I happen to have the right chotkey in my uh, bag because I went through and I bought a whole bunch of unnecessary things, but I'd rather be able to just spend a hero point and say, hey, look, here's this thing that I've totally bought back at the market that I forgot to mention to the DM. Exactly. Yeah, I, I agree with that completely. I, I don't mind doing fun shopping bits every now and again, but the tedious of like making a like I don't I already don't like grocery shopping. Don't make me do it in my RPGs. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I run a lot of streaming games, so like nobody wants to sit and watch players look at the player's handbook and say, Okay, I need a backpack. I need 52 feet of rope because 50 feet wasn't enough last time. I need to go bother that shopkeeper about this. I need a crowbar for sure. Yeah. If you don't have an interesting NPC for them to talk to, it's not it's not worth it for entertainment value. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And even that, it, it becomes like you said, especially if you're doing anything for, for streaming or for broadcast, it's yeah, it it's fun. And if you're, you know, Matt Mercer and can create a Pumat soul or a, a Gilmore off the top of your head and go back to that. But most of us just, you know, I don't mean to to make any assumptions, but most of us just aren't that good at improv to be able to do that and and go back to it consistently. Yeah, definitely not a 
it won't be funny or interesting every time that you that you do it for sure. No, and it's just you know if it's not advancing the plot, it's not it's not important enough to me to include it. Like every scene that you put in an RPG should be building the story and should be helping with what's going on. Otherwise, it's something that the player should do off screen or off you know in downtime between sessions. Yeah, because you know what, and and I think this is a thing too that that I've learned as as I've gone through gaming. You know, back when I was in college it was like, oh, I had so much more free time and you can just, you know, spend hours and hours a week gaming. Well, now that, I mean, well, I'm into my forties, but you know, I have a job and I'm married and I have stuff to do with the house and, you know, I got to cut the grass in the summertime and all this other stuff. It's like my gaming time is, is precious. And well, yes, it can be fun to interact with, with a memorable shopkeeper. If I have to go back and do that every other session, just because I need more arrows and more rope, it's like, oh, I got to go back to the grocery store again because I need milk. You know, it's 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 not an exciting, entertaining part of life. Yeah. If it was, we would all be at the grocery store right now. That's <laughs> <in> real life. <laughs> so that's, you know, maybe kind of to to, I don't know, segue a little bit. Um, how does does supers do you think you mentioned you do a lot of streaming does supers gaming present any unique challenges to to doing stuff in a streaming or broadcast format that that you don't feel other games do um i think one of the primary challenges and i know this is this is this might just be my my past experiences but a lot of my most successful streams have been moments where player characters are about to die because it feels like the audience is just bloodthirsty sometimes and that is not something that happens super often in mutants and masterminds um it's very difficult to take out a player character in that system which is good i mean superheroes you know they're not supposed to die and when they do die they're not supposed to stay dead unless your name's uncle ben um so that it's presenting challenges to the characters that are difficult enough that they're engaging but not overwhelming them. That's sort of the happy balance to hit and not being a jerk about it. Like not, not creating just, just encounters that affect the character's weaknesses. So like, okay, you do have a Superman here, but every single room that we've come into in this entire adventure has been lined with kryptonite. (laughs) Right. Right. And Martian Manhunter is here to help, but those kryptonite rooms are all on fire too. So like (laughs) in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, it's challenging heroes, but also, not being a jerk about it, I think, is one of the... And I know, that's probably true of most RPGs, is finding that balance between difficulty and engagement. Okay, now, let me ask you this, and then this, just because it popped into my head, and this is the way we do things. You were talking about how M&M uses a point-buy system, and you buy powers. Can you buy weaknesses to get more points? Uh, so you don't buy weaknesses to get more points, but every character has at least two complications. Those complications can be invoked to get hero points that you can use to do all sorts of stuff. And those complications can be anything from like a kryptonite or it can be a personality flaw like Wolverine's temper or uh, it could just be your motivation. So like I'm motivated to do good or I have a responsibility or I'm a thrill seeker. Those sorts of things that can encourage your character to act suboptimally for genre purposes and for gaining hero point purposes. Okay, so like Jessica Jones drinking, Mm -hmm. etc. Because like you know, and I think I mentioned this and I may have even said it since we started recording. I don't know my bigger, like I, I've said to a certain point for me, if I'm going to play supers, I would personally much rather play kind of a street level game, something along the lines of the, the Netflix Marvel stuff or 
uh, the CW, like Green Arrow, mm-hmm. or that that kind of more street level kind of thing, is a little more appealing to me. Or like, and this one, you know, and I mentioned this with Shane last week, and I don't think as he brought up it, it it's really it would be a really really hard setting to do in a game, but like the Tick, just because it's it's absurd. Oh, that'd be so fun. Yeah, you have to find a good GM, but mechanically speaking, mutants masterminds can do it. But yeah, you'd have to find somebody who understood that genre and was willing to just dive in headfirst with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's the hard part. More than mechanically speaking, I think everybody has different tastes in superheroes. And I think finding a group of people who just gel with you and and want the same stuff, things from their story. Because I've run, like I said earlier, my... um. I've run Mutants and Masterminds games for Star Wars, The Clone Wars, for Fallout, Suicide Squad, Guardians of the Galaxy, The Avengers. I run a, um, I run games set in the universe of my novels, which is a fantasy noir setting. So it's very street level, very 1930s Jessica Jones. Yeah, there's all, there's all sorts of stuff that you can do in Mutants and Masterminds. It's just a matter of finding the right players and the right GM for the genre you're looking for. Yeah, that's that's really cool. I think the system sounds really nice as far as like the flexibility of it. It sounds like a very very usable system to to do just about any sort of heroes game that you would or supers game that you would want to play. That seems pretty I I'm definitely going to have to get my hands on it and and try uh, this is this is a genre for me that just never really I don't know, for me it was always like superhero gaming never never hit an itch that I had and I might have to try this one just because it, it seems like it's got a lot of flexibility and a lot of open ability to tell the different kinds of stories. And I, I really like that. Yeah. And um, I've heard before that people say that mutants and masterminds is champions for people who don't have a degree in calculus. <laughs> That'd be good for me. Cause calculus doesn't agree with my brain. I mean, I'm I'm pretty good with math and geometry and algebra, but it was like I got the calculus and just went, no. <laughs> yeah, I'm just good at geometry. I'm not good. I have one of those brains that's like, why are there letters in my math? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm with you there. <laughs> Sometimes I have a brain that's like, why are there numbers in the math? But <laughs> um, but Eminem is cool because it does have some of that crunch for the players who are looking for it. There is the point by, there is the math involved in that. But if you don't want to deal with that, you can just sit down and play your character. Like if you if you work with the GM to create the character mm-hmm. for new groups, especially when I've had people who aren't used to the system, I'll just sit down with them and I'll say, what kind of superhero do you want to be? And I'll go through their backstory. I'll go through their powers. I'll go through all of that stuff. And then I'll go off on my own and I'll make the math for it work for what their concept. And then I'll give them the sheet and just sort of tell them, how do you what do you want to do? And then I'll just tell them what the role <laughs> like. That's fair. Now, would would Eminem also then handle? It sounds like pretty well something along the lines of, and I forgot to mention this earlier. Uh, the was it on ABC, the Agents of Shield, where you oh, really yeah. only had you know Daisy was the only one of the the characters, so to speak, that really had powers, and and even those she really didn't use that much. Yeah, at that point, you'd be looking at like a power level five or a power level six game. Where if you wanted to be a character who had powers, that would be like the majority of your points. So you would have that power, but you wouldn't be as as technically skilled as the characters who don't have powers. Mm-hmm. So you'd be able to build any character you want in that in those constraints. But 
you know, the power level cap limit makes it so you're not going to be shrugging off like tank shells and stuff like that as a right. power level character. That actually, it does sound like it's it's really well thought out and and able to do a lot of stuff. And I love how flexible Eminem is because, and I feel like it's flexible because they didn't set out to quantify everything. They came on and they said these are what superpowers do, and the math and all that stuff is character specific. So like, you know, they didn't design six thousand superpowers that you could buy a la carte. They designed thirty six, and you basically say. Okay, I have a damaging effect. You know, Thor does damage, Iron Man does damage, but those look vastly different on the page. Right. Well, but like like we said before, it, they they took it to the level of they went to what does it do first, and then okay, this is what it does. You can make it look however you want, which which I think really encourages creative thinking at the table to go. Okay, yeah, mechanically it's this, but it looks vastly different than when the person next to you does the same has the same result yeah 100 percent. and i don't know as a gm at the table too i like to encourage people to describe what happens in the format that they see superheroes in so i'll say okay you took this guy out what did the panels look like on the comic page or like what does the scene look like you know tell me what happens mm-hmm. and i give that narrative control to the players because Superhero storytelling is about being awesome. I think that's, I think that's the catharsis people get from it. Mm-hmm. So to maybe kind of start wrapping a little bit on the super side of things, you know, you mentioned before some of the things you like about it. You know, Shane last week was saying his his love is really kind of that '80s four color classic superhero comic thing. You know, where do you fall in that? With you know, be it you know, are you all about capes and spandex? Or you know a little more street level anti hero. Where is your your sweet spot, so to speak? Oh, that's so hard to find. <laughs> I really just love the whole genre. I love you know I love the my sort of baseline for superheroes is the Bruce Tim universe for the animated Justice League stuff and Batman the animated series. So that's where I sort of started with my love for superheroes. But honestly, I love everything from the boys to the defenders to Invincible just came out. I really enjoyed that. I love the MCU. Yeah, I haven't got to touch Invincible yet, and I'm excited. Uh, it's pretty good. I would definitely recommend checking it out. I just I love the whole genre, and I love that I have the flexibility in Eminem to tell the stories that hit me as they come. Like convention-wise, some of my favorite games to run are Suicide Squad games because people get to be a little naughty, and <laughs> they don't usually get to do that. And even I even ran a D&D, I ran a Mutants and Masterminds game where the Justice League interrupted Mr. Mixes at Pitlick's D&D game and he forced them into <laughs> a setting as themselves. That sounds pretty fun. That's, yeah, that sounds like a good time. It was a wild scenario. They were so mad when I took away their Justice League character sheets and I gave them a bunch of D&D characters. Uh, <laughs> he had Batman a halfling rogue named Bruce Padfoot. <laughs> Yeah, of course you would, because it's mix-a-play. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. The guy playing Batman was awesome, because he was like, he uh, he sort of started like, Bruce is not into this. And then by the time they got to the end of the D&D thing, Batman was acting like a rogue, and it was so funny. <laughs> uh, uh, that sounds like a really good time, yeah. Okay, so so because no comic book thing would be complete without a kind of unusual versus matchup, 
and and we gave Shane uh, Spawn and Ghost Rider, which was a listener question. The other, the same same person, uh, Agent Zero, on our Discord asked, "Who do you think would win a fight between Spawn and Doctor Strange?" That's a good fight. I think that would be an exciting fight. Um, I think Doctor Strange takes it. Though. Yeah, Spawn has a lot of really cool and interesting powers, and he's very difficult to deal with. I feel like Doctor Strange has him in the utility department. Where like Doctor Strange could just teleport him to the far end of the universe and just be done with him. Well, I think Strange is also like if you give Strange like two minutes, he's got it figured out and is like, oh okay, well, I, I don't yeah. need to deal with you right now. Well, I think time is the great equalizer, and and Strange, at least from my limited exposure, that's part of his bag of tricks. Yeah, he's got a lot of time tricks, and he has a Spawn has a lot of devil stuff, and I feel like. Being a magic wizard, like a superhero wizard, you have to be versed in exorcism. Um, you have to be versed in demonology and dealing with dealing with specifically hell stuff to make it go away. Because as a sorcerer supreme, your job is to protect Earth from all of that stuff instead of the guys in costumes. That's fair. Well, how many times has Strange just straight up gone against Mephisto in the universe and been like, you're a problem? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And Mephisto has been like, I don't want to fight with Doctor Strange today. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's. I think that's going to be the thing is that like Strange is going to be like, I can deal with you because I've dealt with worse. And Spawn's going to try and use his powers and be like, uh, this is a problem. I want to see Spawn fight Etrigan the Demon. I think that would be. Oh, fight. that would be awesome. That is um, yeah. Etrigan's so cool. That's one of my favorite series is uh, Justice League Dark stuff is always awesome. Yeah, I, uh, we did a uh, live stream for Justice League Dark at uh, Gen Con last year for USP. And uh, that was such a fun game. We had Swamp Thing, Constantine, Zatanna. Uh, Etrigan was one of the player characters. And uh, Dead Man and then Green Arrow. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, Green Arrow was there because the uh, the premise of the game was the Justice League was all in a was all trapped in a nightmare dream state. So the Justice League Dark had to go into the Big Three's nightmares. So they had to go into Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman's nightmares to break the chain. Nice, yeah. I I was always a big fan of Green Arrow and and just stick him in anything and and I'm interested. So I say I really liked it. as much as I don't. I never got into comic books per se, but. I really like the CW Arrow series. Yeah, I really enjoy everything that they do in the Arrowverse. Legends of Tomorrow is probably my favorite superhero thing anywhere right now. I I haven't I haven't watched them in in a year or two any of that stuff. But yeah, I, Legends of Tomorrow was really good. Supergirl and was okay. I mean, like I watched some of it and and I like the Flash stuff. But the weird crossover stuff I think was the best. Yeah, I love the crossovers. I really like that they gave Kevin Conroy the chance to play Batman on screen. <laughs> or play Bruce Wayne on screen. Um, <laughs> I wish they'd have done a little bit different with him in the crossover, but I like that they got him out finally instead of just behind the animation booth. Well, I uh, no shocker to anybody, but I did recently watch the Snyder Cut of Justice League, and man... I thought he was miscast in Batman v Superman, but I think he's actually really good. Oh, uh, Ben Affleck as Batman in that series. He actually came into his own, I felt, in Justice League, which is weird because I thought he was really stilted in BVS. But Yeah, and I think I think part of that was just the um, plot for Batman v Superman didn't wasn't very great. 
<laughs> I I agree with you. <laughs> I, I I was not, I was I was tentatively excited to see Ben Affleck as Batman throughout that series. Um, just because he looked so good in the costume. I mean, he had the chin. He looked he looked like he could beat you up, which I think is important for Batman. Yeah, and I I like his little bits that he in, injects a little bit of humanity into Batman. Like when Doomsday yeah. came on that movie Superman, he was like, oh shit. <laughs> yeah, I'm tentatively excited though to see, see Pattinson as Batman, just to see what kind of character he brings because he's a really good actor and I'd like mm-hmm. to see Robert Pattinson as Batman just to see what kind of Batman he plays because I, I was really gunning for... And this just tells you everything I was really gunning for when they announced him to play Batman. I was like, make him Terry McGinnis. Don't actually make him Batman. Make him Terry McGinnis and give me give me a Batman Beyond movie. Like, I think he would have killed it as Terry McGinnis. Like, I think he's going to do a good job as Bruce, but I think he would have been an excellent Terry McGinnis. I think I think he would have been a fantastic Terry McGinnis. You bring back. Um, oh, I'm terrible on names today. Um Michael Keaton as as Bruce, because he's he could play an old Bruce Wayne at this point. Yeah, and I think he is playing old Bruce Wayne in um the Flashpoint movie. Yeah, so if he's playing old Bruce already, bring him bring him for the you know future and cast Pattinson as Terry McGinnis. And now I'm super happy because now we're talking about a series that just that was my childhood because it crossed all of the lines it was like this weird sci-fi future with batman yeah i love batman beyond it's a that is one that's one game i haven't written yet is a batman beyond scenario i've played in a couple of really good batman beyond scenarios but i didn't get to be terry because my buddy andy called him first (laughs) (laughs) now again i'm not as as steeped in in all the lore as you guys but it would seem to me that one of the issues with with batman specifically is is you have you have to have someone who can equally play Batman and Bruce Wayne, and they're very different characters. I think, mm-hmm. I think, and I'll I'll speak to this a little bit if you don't mind. I think one of the things to keep in mind with Batman, though, okay, so Superman, so Clark Kent is the persona, and he puts on the suit to become Superman. Batman is the persona, and he puts on the suit to become. Bruce Wayne. I think that's one of the biggest things you have to keep in mind when playing Bruce Wayne is that you're every time I've seen him done well, he always seems just a little bit out of place being Bruce Wayne, but very natural being Batman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's true too. Because at the end of the day, Superman is Clark Kent. Like he's the guy who puts on a cape, <laughs> and Batman is a trauma who puts on a person. Right. That's a fair way to put it, I think. And I like, um, I mean, not to go back to the animated series, but Mask of the Phantasm is one of my favorite interpretations of Batman and Bruce Wayne because you get Bruce at this very crucial junction if he's deciding what his life's going to be because he finally, you know, he meets up with an old flame and he's like, oh, I didn't think that being happy was ever going to be part of my journey. He's got to decide what's more important to him, pursuing, like giving up his vengeance and becoming Bruce Wayne or staying as Batman. And that's sort of the drawing conflict of that story. And that's, I don't know, I think when you get, when you start having Batman examine, examine what he's doing and what, you know, what he survived and what he's willing to give up to keep pursuing this endless justice crusade, I think that's, that's when he's most interesting to me. That's fair. So I think, and, and we promised to do this, and you've, you've brought up your, 
you know, you do a lot of streaming stuff. And one of the other things that I kind of wanted to bring you on because my understanding of, of your other project is that it's, it's very much kind of in line with what our kind of mission is here at, at me and Steve. And that's your, your untold stories project. And if you would like to talk about that for a bit, I'd love to hear, to hear more. Yeah. So, uh, a little over a year ago, some of my friends and I who had been on a couple of different uh, streaming networks, we got together and we said, we want to create a, a space for RPGs that aren't D&D. We want to create a space for RPGs and voices that are not, you know, that don't have access to a million dollar marketing budget and a cast of voice actors who play for 10,000 people every, every week <laughs> to showcase showcase rpgs that we love that don't get the attention that we feel like they deserve so i you know i've been running an m&m game a mutants masterminds game there um off and on for the last year um we've also done werewolf the apocalypse uh, 20th anniversary edition i'm running a fallout wasteland warfare rpg campaign right now as well on top of my m&m campaign so i run mondays and wednesdays we've done we've also done two months worth of one shots where we've done systems from all over the place we did honey heist from itch we did uh fate um the new alien rpg by free league publishing we did the star wars fantasy flight game for our holiday special i did the uh the pirate who stole life day with hondo and a bunch of clone troopers that was oh, fun i'm gonna have to look that up um and uh we're working on a cyberpunk a cyberpunk 2020 game instead of a cyberpunk 2077 or cyberpunk red whatever the new rpg is Red's the new one. I've got actually both of them sitting about arm's length away from me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but and um, we also do. We do have a Pathfinder podcast, but it's for um, the GM. He's running his daughter and a bunch of her friends through their first ever RPG. So we created that space for middle school girls to get into role playing games. So we try to we try to showcase voices and games that don't that don't have the you know the media share that something like D and D has. Yeah, I was gonna say I I haven't I've watched a little bit of your your streaming stuff on YouTube. I just generally don't have the available time to dedicate to watch streams because life is life. But I'm I'm a voracious podcast consumer, and I have listened to some of of the podcast you were mentioning. It's called uh, Something Something Dragons, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct. And the one thing that, that like you said, it's it's these you know middle school girls and the first few episodes especially i was listening to and the thing that struck me is just how beautifully i want to say beautifully innocent they play there's not the the thoughts that that you get to so much where you've got you know more adults around the table and you're thinking well i'm supposed to do this and i should do that and and they're just so so immersed in a lot of ways and just like this this wonderful well, you know, that's going to hurt. I don't want to do that, but not in, in a, I only have this many hit points. It's, you know, that bear's scary. I don't want to fight it. Yeah. It's so, I don't know. It's so refreshing seeing new people play RPGs because they, they don't have the, the sort of, you know, they're not a retired cop two days from retire from their pension. Who's like, I'm not going to go do that. I'm a loose cannon cop. Yeah, they approach problem solving in ways that's just very, very new and very unique. And I, I love listening to them play. Yeah, yeah, because that's you know, like you said, there's there's just so many games out there that, that I, I just you know, like look, if you really like D and D and that's what you want to do, good for you. And and you know, in the end, the hobby's all about having fun. But there's so many other things, be it superheroes or 
or whatever else. There's there's so much stuff out there, and, and we really, right now, we live in a golden age for the RPG industry community. There's so much to do, so many different, be it IPs or just weird and wonderful settings that you can play in and games where it's really easy to make that weird, wonderful setting that's been stuck in your head for, for however long. And that, you know, even if you played D and D and, and going into a cave and beating up goblins, isn't your thing. There could be another game that is just exactly what you're looking for. You just have to take the time to find it. And I really like it when people take the time to, to try and showcase some of those other things for people to help them discover it. Definitely. And I mean, I've been playing RPGs since I was 11 years old and I feel like, I feel like there is, I think there's value for anybody to try an RPG at least once. Um, and there's so many skills that you can learn and there's so many, you know, it's such an engaging kind of fun that tricks that plays with all the whole bunch of aspects of your brain. I really just, it's social, there's critical problem solving, there's creativity, it's imagination. I think everybody should do themselves a favor and they should find an RPG that appeals to their, to the genres and to the games that they, they like to hear anyway and engage with the material in that manner. I think, I think it would serve everybody if they had to try it at least once. Yeah. I don't think you're wrong. I could, yeah, I completely agree with you. I, I think if you're interested in any sort of media, you can find an RPG for you. <laughs> And like I'm, I'm the person who's like a proselytizer for RPGs. Like any new workspace I wind up in, day job wise, I'm like, hey, you guys should try this. And that's how I try to bond with my uh, coworkers. You know, I'll, I'll shout about it on the rooftops. I'll talk to anybody about playing RPGs. It, it well, it's just it's you know, it can do so many things. It can be an escape. It can be kind of a a, a catharsis thing where you can you know, kind of work out some frustrations. It can be a way to, to kind of explore ideas or, or feelings without having to directly face them as actual life, you know, it, or it can just be, Hey, let's go beat up some goblins. It doesn't have to be more than that, but even doing that is it's good for you. I mean, I don't know. I don't think I could have gotten through the quarantine that we've been going through without RPGs uh, online, you know, just, it's a way to be social. It's a way to get out of your head for a while. It's a great escape. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, so, um, we talked about that. Where can, can people find your, be it your streams? Do you have a, a website? I know you have a Twitch channel, but I, like I said, because I don't really watch streams, I, I don't know it off the top of my head. Uh, so, um, we are on Twitch on Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays. You can find us at twitch.tv slash untold stories project. We are currently in the process of creating our website. We're hoping to have that finished and available for the public by the start of our quarter two games at the middle of April, beginning of May. Mm-hmm. And that'll be a place where you can you can see what we're streaming, but we're also going to have a blog that we're going to open up for guest writers to come in and write about RPG stuff. We're going to have our merchandise store. We're also going to be hosting a couple of contests, like um, short RPG design contests, fiction contests, art stuff, cosplay stuff, all sorts of fun stuff. You can also find our podcast, Something Something Dragons, anywhere podcasts live. Our all of our video, all of our uh, playbacks are on YouTube as well. Okay, yeah, I, I think I subscribed to your YouTube channel a while back, but I just I don't spend a lot of time on YouTube because it doesn't mesh with what I have to do the greatest, unfortunately. Oh, I completely forgot we played East Texas University too. That was so much fun. That's actually I think the one I did. Well, I watched slash listened to 
I want to say it was the first session of that. It was a fun game. That was so good. That's kind of what like a college age Buffy is, is what it struck me as. Yeah, that's what it uh, that's what it was sold to me as too. And that was what we did. It was so good. Well, sounds to me then like we've kind of covered all the things we wanted to cover. Do you have anything you wanted to ask us directly or uh, I can't think of anything super super off the top of my head. Okay. Well then I think maybe Steve, you know what time it is. Is it game of the week? It's time for game of the week. So I briefed you a little bit on what this is, Alex. What we do is we just kind of randomly pick a game that either we played a long time ago or we happen to find it on, say, like drive through RPG or Itch or, you know, some weird backwater website, whatever. But in any case, we just kind of pick a game and give a quick elevator pitch for it. And just as a way to, you know, like we were just talking about, help people realize some of the weird and wonderful RPGs that are out there. So would you like to to join us in playing Game of the Week? I would love to. All right. So who would like to go first? Not me. Not me Not this you? week. Not me. I'm still looking. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I can go first if y'all would like. That sounds good. And I think the game that, that I'm going to go to, um, it's from a publisher who anyone who's listened to this podcast has heard me talk about Delta Green. And it's just a wonderful game in that Call of Cthulhu kind of vein. But that's not the only thing they produce. They actually produce actually two superheroes games. Uh, and this is one of them. It's actually kind of the, the second one of them built off of the other one. It's a game called Wild Talents. And it's a game... Authors are Dennis Detweiler, Kenneth Height, Shane Ivey, and Greg Stolze. So, you know, people who have been around the industry for quite a bit, although probably not so well-known in super circles. And oddly enough, well, you know, one of Dennis's big things was the art for Delta Green. He's, I believe, actually the sole artist for that entire line. He did writing and not art for Wild Talents. But Wild Talents is a superheroes game that grew out of a game that they made that was called... Um, Oh, godlike, which was a kind of World War II with superpowers idea. And this is just kind of advancing that. But it's based on the one roll engine from Greg Stolze, which is kind of a unique. It's a dice pool system, but you're looking for matches. And depending on how high the numbers are that match and how many of them you have affects how successful your role is, is a simple way to put it. Like I said, I'll put links in the show notes for it, but it, it's a really neat Again, it's a different take on on supers, and and like I said, I I have some stuff from this publisher, and, and I really like it. So I I may well be going and spending a decent amount of money on drive through this week or in the coming weeks. But yeah, Wild Talent sounds really cool, and you know, uh, PDFs twenty bucks, but there's a lot of um, there's a lot of you know, be it adventure supplements and stuff for it out there too. Okay, and I have a odd one this week. I have one called Models. Models, okay. Yes, you're gonna make me look things up. Models, M O D E L S, by and I'm probably gonna butcher the last name, but it's Toby Abad, A B A D, and it models is an acronym. It stands for Military Operations Defense Emergency Liaison Specialists. However, it's not spelled out M dot O dot. It is just models. It looks so. I caught my eye because I was like, "That's cool cover art." Looks like a really neat like. Um, secret agency type game. And then I get down to the influences and it's like, no one lives forever. Zoolander, 
Mind, MGMT, and Killing Eye. Or Killing Eye. Shoot me a link on this, Steve. I got, because it's not coming up right on my search bar. Because this sounds cool as hell. Yeah, it's it's just a, well, the thing that caught my eye is I'm like, is this supposed to be taken seriously? And then they say Zoolander, and I go, oh, it's not supposed to be taken seriously. Archer and Glorious Bastards. (laughs) Right. It seems like they're aiming for a, a tonally serious game with, ridiculous elements and they they describe it as spy stories with irreverent humor and stylish over-the-top action which that sounds so cool and it's only 10.99 on drive through so just something to check out just a really cool game i stumbled across and oh hell yeah it so it's like one of those things where it sounds like it's designed to be taken serious in world but the meta is completely over the top right Right. Those dual layer things. Right. Kind of like the tick. Yeah. And it says that, you know, the system is, the system's there, but you could replace it with another system. So you could probably easily run this with like Genesis or something if you were more inclined to do that. Just a really cool game. Just a really cool game. It sounds so cool. Oh, wow. Yeah. This does look, yeah, you're right. It, It does look, like you say, it feels like it's kind of a double layer thing where, where it takes internally it takes itself seriously but it's very much not intended to be it wants you to laugh at it even though it doesn't think it's funny if that makes sense mm-hmm. it's it's zoolander zoolander is is the perfect description of of what's going on in that what's going on in that world like everybody in world is super serious but when you look at it from the outside it's hilarious yeah no, that does look fun. All right, add to wish list. <laughs> There's going to be lots of ideas for our one-shots when they come back around in the summer. <laughs> All right, so uh, you have any moments of inspiration here, Alex? Yeah, um, so there is a game that I, I will bring up for Game of the Week. Um, this is a game that I've only played a couple of times, but I really, really want to play again. It's called Slasher Flick by Spectrum Games. Okay. And it is a game dedicated to reenacting 80 slasher movies. So all of the characters are super expendable. You have a lot of stuff in the in the book about how to create your perfect slasher. So if you want to recreate something like Halloween or uh, Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street, it has all sorts of stuff. I did look at this. I just never touched it. Um, so you're saying it's pretty fun then? Yeah, it was really, really fun to play. Uh, I haven't run it yet, but it was... Um, there's a whole stack of characters at the table for you. So if your character gets killed, you um you do have another character that you can pick up and be back in the action. And it has its own meta currency, like a hero point, but it encourages the encourages the survivors to act like they're in a horror movie. So like drop the weapon after you use it once, or split up, or say who's there, and then go look in the dark for the monster. Okay. Oh, this sounds fun. Yeah, this is yeah. That's exactly the type of stuff we looking for here sounds pretty darn cool yeah i love horror stuff I, and i so there's usually some horror elements in all of my all of my superheroes rpgs which is really hard to do because it's really hard to scare superman but <laughs> it's to scare the player not the character well i think that though you know not to go off on it well we go off on tangents here all the time so but that is the thing with with that makes horror games so difficult is that in a lot of ways it's 
you almost to really sell a horror game, you have to scare the player a little bit. Mm-hmm. But yet part of the fun is that, what do you want to say? That, 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 that meta split between you as, as a player commonly sitting there looking at your character and going, it would be really dumb to do thing X, but your character not having the context to say it would be really dumb to do thing X. So you do it anyway. Right. <laughs> it's hard to, it's hard to get players to act like they're in a horror scenario. Like they're like, okay, I'm a gamer. I'm going to survive this. And you know, it's, it's trying to get them to, to tear that mask away a little bit and get involved. That's why I think call of Cthulhu works so well is because you can basically not force, but basically coerce your players into doing things using the insanity mechanic or using, you know, you looked at something you shouldn't have looked at basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's, I think understanding that, and I think, you know, perhaps this is something for, you know, for me, I, I discovered really RPGs before, I mean, RPG video games were kind of a thing then, but not to the extent they are now. And I think a lot of people now are, are, coming to tabletop RPGs from a video RPG background. Mm-hmm. And so, like you said, their, their mentality is that third person. I need to survive and beat this where that's not always what a tabletop RPG wants you to do. Right. 100%. There's, I don't know, there's getting the gamer to separate, to forget that they're playing a game. I think that is one of the, one of the most beautiful things that can happen as a game master. Yeah. Uh, I had a, I had a, um, I ran a Suicide Squad scenario at Origins a few years ago, where it was the Batman '66 villains in the Suicide Squad defending the Beatles during their first tour of the USSR. Oh wow! And the Beatles got everybody but Ringo got abducted and taken into Skataris, the um, the hole in the center of the Earth or whatever. And the whole time, everybody was having this great, wonderful time, but because it was the '60s the bombs in their head were all on one detonator. So Rick flag could kill all of them at once instead of individually and only all of them at once. So they were sort of going along. They were all behaving themselves. And then for some dumb reason, the party was like, okay, we're at the wizard's tower or whatever. We're going to send Ringo and Rick in to distract the necromancer, the sorcerer. And then we're going to sneak up behind him and blow him up. And, when they got, they sent Ringo and Rick in first, and when they came around the back of the tower, the sorcerer was like, oh, Rick, your friends are here. Press the button. And everybody went silent. <laughs> 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 They're like, what do we do? It was it was so cool. It was, I, I got goosebumps just thinking about it. It's just everybody was so invested in playing their characters, and they were like, we're all going to die. <laughs> That's the end of the <laughs> But I let them roll initiative, and they were able to stop Rick from pressing the button before they all got blown up, because that would have been an unsatisfying ending to the story. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's the trick a lot of times with game mastering, too, is is knowing when when to to let things happen that might not exactly be how the rules do it, because it creates a more satisfying experience. Yeah, oh, I'll have to come back on and talk about just DM stuff because I love talking about DMing in particular. Just absolutely, any love to yeah. have you back on at some point. Yeah, anytime if you're free and you're like, I wonder what those guys are doing. Hit us up. We'll gladly have you back on. We'll talk yeah. about anything. Honestly, <laughs> we will talk about 
we have we've had episodes just about anything so we recently did an episode that was about nothing exactly we were we were seinfeld for an episode that's awesome <laughs> yeah, just, i think gm craft is one of the one of the most interesting parts about our community is just learning how to be a good gm and what makes a good gm and how it's different from group to group to group because different groups are looking for different things exactly yes yes that is such a big factor that you know that's the reason that there is no literal how to be a great gm text because i mean there's the guy on youtube that has that channel he's got a lot of wonderful insights but he even he you know it's it's there is no one size fits all solution oh because it's a it's a group activity i mean the gm is important but he's not any more important than having good players i mean i always tell my players i'm like if you are good players this won't be work for me yeah yeah and that's you know, not to tie everything to critical role, but it's such a touch point in the community. You know, Mercer, people, you know, look at, oh, Matt Mercer's the greatest, blah, blah, blah. Look, Matt Mercer's really good, I think. But what a lot of people lose when they when they say that is he's also playing with a group of professional actors who are also his friends and they have played together for years. So it's an assembly thing. It's not that Matt isn't good, but because of the table he plays with, he looks even better. Yeah, no, 100%. And I wish GMs would stop discouraging themselves because it's looking at what Critical Role is doing is like comparing the NFL to your pickup game of football in the yard. Like, it's just, you can still have fun and you can still get dirty and you can still, you know, you can have that great time. But, you know, that's a show. That is a that is a show that has production value and there's people in the background making sure everything is going the way it's supposed to be going. and it's not indicative of the real experience as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. It, well, I, I like to tell people it's not what D and D is, but it is something D and D can be. Yeah, I agree. But the talent and the work that goes into making D and D into that is extensive. Yeah, And I wish, I wish people wouldn't discourage themselves or feel disappointed when their game isn't like that. Yeah. Cause if your players are having fun, you're winning. Like, <laughs> As long as everybody is relaxing and enjoying themselves, you have played D&D. Like, yeah, it's about having a good time. Yeah, yeah. Having those stories that you're going to tell for years and years and years. Like, I remember all of my best and all of my worst games from conventions. Mm -hmm. I remember one game at Gen Con a couple years ago where the GM had not learned anything about GMing since 1983. Mm -mm. And that was one way that gaming could be done. And he was just, oh my God. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. We have stories like that. <laughs> <laughs> Always be learning. I mean, as long as you're learning, you're still you're getting better at what you're doing as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Well, this really does sound like another, uh, another whole episode. <laughs> so I'd yeah. love to have you on to have a whole episode talking about GMing, GM craft, all of that fun stuff. But at this time, I think with our episode on superheroes, mutants and masterminds and our pretty awesome interview with you i think we're gonna go ahead and wrap it up and we want to remind everybody we want to thank you for listening remind everybody to be kind to one another and get out there and play some rpgs yep and uh if you want to contact us all the infos and links in the show notes you know discord facebook twitter etc and don't forget to go check out untold stories project too they do a lot of really cool stuff so thank you for listening take care
intro and outro music by the band 12 Noon. You can email us at meandsteverpg at gmail.com. You can also find us at facebook.com slash meandsteverpg. Thank you and be kind to each other. How much for the cigar? Cigar, 20 bucks, dog. You got to go down the street to the store and buy that. It's scary as hell. <laughs> Shared Sagas is an... Oh, hang on. I just clicked the wrong button. There we go. Oh, oops. <laughs> I said it to the wrong person. <laughs> All right, there you go. <laughs> Oh, there you go, Steve. <laughs>